Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is episode 203 of the Distraction Pieces podcast. It's only been two days since I saw you last, because there was a podcast out on Wednesday. A little peep behind the curtain. I've literally not took a breath since the outro of uh, of Wednesday's podcast. Of course, because I'm recording them together. I've not been holding my breath for two days. Uh, but you can imagine that if you'd like. Am I going a bit crazy? It feels like it, doesn't it? Thanks for tuning in, guys. This little bonus Friday episode, I'm going to do a few of these every now and then. If I've got ones that I've uh, a time-sensitive or I want to get out as quickly as possible, or alternatively, just that feel like they're good together. So I'm hoping to do an MMA week in a couple of weeks ahead of the Bellator 200 event um, at the O2. So yeah, I'm trying to if I feel some 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 work together, I'll double up for you and give you extra treats. It seems to go down well. I've done it a few times recently, and it it's got a good reaction. So yeah, this week's guest is the wonderful Nick Hawks. Nick, I've known for a while. Again, I always start these intros and then realise half of the stuff we discuss in the podcast anyway. But Nick's great, and he's just started a podcast with Eddie Temple Morris called Trailblazers. Um, and I think the guests they've had so far are Fat Boy Slim. And Gary Newman. So you can literally, as you're listening, you can click through and go and download them to queue up to, to listen to later. But um, Goldie's to come and loads of others. We talk about it in the podcast. What I'm going to do, if you stick around at the end as a little treat, I'm going to play you a little sample from their podcast. And it's going to be of, 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 of Gary Newman talking about working with Nine Inch Nails. So that's a hell of a, a, hell of a podcast. Um, as you'll know, this week is all about the music industry, and I'm from that music industry. Speechofelementrecords.com is where you can go and support independent music. You can buy vinyl, that's important. Um, I'm going to tell you a little s- s- secret as this is the Friday bonus episode. On May 12th, it's the 10 year anniversary of mine and, and Dan Lasak's first album, Angles, which is where a lot of people heard of us for the first time. We're doing a very limited re-release of the vinyl. It's going to be purple vinyl. Um, it's going to be available from speechdevelopmentrecords.com. We're going to be doing 100 and signing them in the web store. There will be a few available from Sunday Best and other places as well, but there will be a limited 100 signed in my, in the speechdevelopmentrecords.com web store, and we're doing a limited edition Mr. Heggie t-shirt, and the design is frankly l- ludicrous. I'm going to give a little spoiler. It's... Me and Dan Lassac acting out that scene from Ghost where they're making pottery. So Dan's in front, I'm behind him topless, uh, reaching round and we're getting all sexy. So that's super limited. If I get a chance, I might sneak it up early, but otherwise it'll be May 12th on the 10-year anniversary of Angles. Also, when we will be doing... Um, I'm going to go round to Dan Lassac's house because Dan has got a Twitch channel. So look into Twitch. Dan's got a Twitch channel. I'm going to go around there and we're going to spend as much of the day as we can spare literally doing Dan Lassac versus Scroobius Pip. So I'm going to be playing him on computer games and I'm going to be fighting or racing or teaming up at the end maybe. I want to start with some kind of real verses. And that'll be a live stream on for numerous hours. Um, And you can come on and chat and you can ask us questions about the record, about our careers, about all sorts of stuff. So... Yeah, that's kind of the plan there. That's enough talking for now. This is 
Nick Hawks um, on episode 203 of the Distraction Pieces podcast. Um, I'm joined today by, uh, by Nick Hawks. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for, uh, you know, in- inviting me to... It's lovely here. Yeah. Where are we? This is... Yeah. Well, we're at High Road House uh, in Chiswick. So we're not far from... Uh, we're in, well, we're in West London. And, uh, yeah, just like a nice little environment for our, for our chat. It's lovely. It's a couple of drinks. room yeah. for our chat. And um, we've got tons to talk about. Our, our paths have crossed... N- numerous times over yes, the years. Yes, that's right. Um, I can never remember w- where or when, yeah. but I always know that we know each <laughs> other and we've met at, at, at points. <laughs> yeah. Um, the thing that we've come together primarily at this point for is you've just launched a new podcast with friend of the Distraction Pieces podcast, Eddie Temple Morris, yes. and friend of both of us. Yeah. Um, uh, but I want to kind of talk about everything. The sure. podcast we'll get into, it's the... The first two, two, two guests you've got, which will have been out when this comes out, you know, I thought I started strong when I launched my podcast. You guys are going all in. I mean, I'll mention it now. You've got Gary Newman and Fatboy Slim to, yeah. to kick things off. So That's right. It's a hell of a start. Um, <laughs> I want to kind of talk about everything. I want to talk about your yeah. history in the music industry. Yeah. But first of all, the first mm. note I've got at the mm. top is just under a question mark, is Uncle Pat. Yes. Um, and I've, it feels like the most hyped podcast I've done now. I've mentioned a few times I'm going to be doing a podcast <laughs> with my Uncle Pat because <laughs> he was in the music industry for years and, and yeah. still is, in fact. And yeah. he was the first a, a label manager at Trojan in the UK and, th- and, and things like that. But I remember when I was starting off, it was either the first time we met or it might have even been how we were first put in touch was my Uncle Pat kind of said, oh, I've worked with Nick, mm. Um, um, mm. Who, who started Excel mm. and did all mm. these other things. And mm. so, yeah, how do you know? Yeah, how do I know Pat your means? uncle Pat? <laughs> yeah, 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 I know him because my first proper job in the music industry, as in like a full time proper job, yeah. rather than helping out and, and all of that, um, was at a company called Secret Promotions, and yeah. that was run by a guy called Simon Goff. Yeah, and we were an independent promotion company. Um, and I did a little bit of radio plugging there, but primarily I was doing club promotions. Yeah. So I was the guy that would sit there and we'd get 300 or 800 12 inches of um, This Is Scar by Longsy D, which yeah. was a release that, that Uncle Pat, uh, yeah. as, as he shall now be known, <laughs> or, or The Wing Commander, actually, that yeah. some people kind of referred to him as, because nice. he's That's got this know. quite, uh, he's a very well-spoken guy. And, yeah, um, he's, he's, uh, I always remember gr- gr- growing up a distinctiveness of, he looks like he's wearing a joke, a Groucho Marx, glasses, <laughs> nose, and moustache. Because he's, he, but he's got those glasses and a nose and a, exactly. a big moustache. So he's yeah, a, he's, he's that, a fascinating that guy. Wing commander look. That's right. So <laughs> I was I was mailing out these records, doing club promotion, and then in that era, it was I did 
Uh, let's think, I worked on Smith & Mighty, yes. a bit of Massive Attack, early days. So this is like walk-on, yeah. the, the, you know, right at the, the front end of that Bristol bass thing coming yeah. through. Um, and let's think, Turntable Orchestra, Blaze. I did a, al- worked on an album that came out on Deconstruction called North, right. which was all based around the exploding Hacienda yeah. kind of house scene at the time. And also did Double Trouble and Rebel MC. It was this sort of era of records. Um, and, yeah, so your Uncle Pat uh, put out the Long ZD, This Is Scar record, which is a crazy, it's a Scar meets Acid record yeah. of all things. Yeah. Uh, and this was in the late 80s. I'd, I would think it would be 89, I guess, right. that, 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 I, that I was working there and working on these records. So that was my first kind of... Real full-time experience of, yeah. of the dance and electronic industry, yeah. And, and what was your introduction to the music industry as such? Because particularly after the boom in the 60s and 70s, mm. um, the record industry was this, this hallowed ground, but it was also quite, you know, big labels, established, yeah. hard, I'd imagine, almost seen as an unattainable dream in, in many ways, but... Mm. You kind of you found your way in through I did. luck, time in, um, and, 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 and motivation. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I, I mean, it depends how far you want me to sort of go back. But yeah. I mean, I you know I've had several kind of moments along the journey where I've done something and gone, oh, this is good, and then I've done something else and gone, oh. This is good yeah. as well, or where you go through door A and you see some other doors and that, and you're walking through door B and yeah. C all of a sudden. So, I mean, at the very start of, of, inter, of interfacing with the music industry, I suppose, was, was when I was a kid and me and my best mate, Andy Smith, um, started up a mobile disco. Um, Amazing. But it was so basic. I mean, we're talking the hi-fi stacks system from his house and the flat hi-fi thing with a deck and a cassette deck from mine and four speakers you know two with the one hi-fi two with the other yeah and then we'd take these two home hi-fis out and be in charge of a deck each because of course we didn't Amazing. have a, mix, didn't oh, have a wow. mixer you know so i'd be fading <laughs> true one. live mixing true live mixing <laughs> yeah, from well, here i'd be fading one down and he'd be fading one up hoping no very speed i mean I it was it. it was very basic so that was it, but then, but, but I suppose, it, yeah, we, we did that for the love of it, but then we started to get paid 10 quid to play at <clears throat> this kid's party or, or what have you. Um, and so made a little bit of money for doing something that we would have just loved to do anyway, because yeah. just for the pure joy yeah. of it. Which is, and there's a theme there actually that's run on for, for many years, really. It's doing stuff that you love and then hoping that other people love it or like it. And, and and you hope that it, it brings a couple of quid in yeah. to enable you to to do more. So was, that was that was the first kind of you know business meets music thing, yeah. if you like. Yeah. And and then I sort of was able to sort of blag a few free records from mailing lists because I ran at this mobile disco and and I did a had a little thing that I did on Bristol Hospital Radio. So that yeah. was my first kind of radio experience where I. Um, read used to read the news as a volunteer on on this sort of uh, hospital radio thing, and then I got the opportunity to um, host a show there 
on on one occasion, depping, filling in for somebody who wasn't there, and I was like, "Wow, this is so exciting!" But and, you know, and then I was playing all my early rap records and some kind of you know some sort of pretty tough American underground club music of the time, and yeah. I actually got sort of yanked off the station. They were like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, this mate!" Is, you know, this it's is a bit much. It's a bit much. I think we <laughs> need to return to the. To the smoother, yeah. you know, tones of Val Dunican for Mrs. Tompkins, who's had it replacement, and I don't no. think she needs quite. I don't think she's quite ready for what you're, we are serving up there, Nick. It's understandable, so, but it's all beautiful experience. It's yeah, lovely. Really interesting what you touched upon there because it's such a nuanced thing, and I think now as much as any time in the industry, in the record industry, where people will always want something for free which yeah. isn't acceptable so, so you need to know your worth and make sure you're being paid for your work and things like that but also there is that balance of i got most of my breaks because i was doing stuff for free because i loved it yeah. just because i wanted to be there and then that leads on to other things so it is such i i understand when people get angry about well you should pay designers or like if people have a competition like yeah. a friend of mine had a competition for a, a design our next band t-shirt yeah um and a Quite understandably, a few graphic designers got angry and said, no, you should pay. But their situation was they hadn't really sold any records yet. They yep. weren't really being paid for gigs yet. So they were doing their art for free. Therefore, they hoped they'd meet other people who were passionate about doing their art for free. So it's, it's such a fine balance, isn't it? Because you do need to pick those things to go, you know, I just want to do that. I don't want to price myself out, but I just want to do it and be involved. Well, well what I say to... Um kids that I find myself in front of when sometimes I'm invited to do guest lectures at a uni or something like this, is that as I ask them the question, I'd say if you've looked at Music Week or, or any of the other or, or any of the old online kind of music industry publications, how often do you see jobs that you think would be great for you? Yeah. And the answer to that is very rarely. Yeah. And, and I say why do you think that, that, that you so rarely see jobs advertised that might be right for you. And they'll be, oh, you know, is it because the industry's contracted? I say, well, that, you know, the shape of the industry might be part of it, but in my experience, I found that, that, that I've sort of been offered the jobs before the, the person that's offered me the job has thought, yeah. maybe I need to put an ad in a magazine because yeah, he's gone completely. Nick's around he's helping out he seems to know what he's doing yeah. well that was certainly the case at Secret Promotions which we talked about in my first proper gig yeah. I just helped out I just came in and did a little bit of helping out around the office and then somebody left and Simon said right Nick do you want the full time gig because yeah. you're here yeah, so it never completely. got advertised and, and a lot of the good stuff doesn't get advertised yeah it's when you just and often those jobs will have appeared because of you being there because of you, that, that, that job may have never become a job, but you're there helping out for it. Be cool if we had Nick doing this, yeah. and then that job appears, and you become that yeah. that paid person. And it is, it's those opportunities. Are always an example I can give is just as me and, and, and Dan Lassac were kind of blowing up, and a mm. shout was in the charts. I got an email off off one of your guests, Norman Cook, Fat Boy Slim, mm. asking if I would record Fat Boy Slim, just is. a band. Mm. So. He could play and edit and do it on stage and all that. Yeah. At no point did ask him for money or payment or anything no. cross my mind at all. I was like, I just got an email off Fatboy Slim. And on paper, you could say, well, 
he's a big touring yeah. artist. I could say, well, my fee for recording no. that. Yeah, I was like, wicked. It. Yeah, man, I'll do that. I recorded it in an hour and sent it over yeah. to him and gave a few different versions and edits Lovely. so he could, could play with it. And the, the, then I had the joy of mates of mine being at, you know, at, at, at wireless festival yeah. when he was headlining. Yeah. All sending a video because suddenly, going, mate, mate, mate. Dave, I used to work with in HMV, is on the big screen because he'd cut the video up as well and do it all. It's like that's amazing. Yes. As if I'm going to be going. Well, um, artists have to have their feet and yeah. their work. So all proportionally, like, my lawyer suggests. Yeah, that, it was an exciting thing to yeah. just go. Yeah, I'll do that. Rather I, I, than and a lot it. of the very best stuff that happens. In, in, in art and culture happens because people go, I want to do this. Let's just do it. We think it's good and we think it's worth happening or it's worth being out there. So let's go for it and see where it takes us. I mean, I my career has, has you know, it's been really important, me doing that. It's not necessarily always about being sort of prepared to work for free, but certainly a big thing for me is putting yourself in into situations where you where good fortune may come your way 100%. you know you yeah. put you, if you if you got the chance to help out in a radio station or a, and and I've got you know there's more examples of me helping out actually at two different radio stations uh, that we, we we can get to um then you do that, and then because you're doing that, it opens the doors and other interesting things happen. Yeah. And, and, and I still believe in that, and that's why I still try to, as best as I can, you know, have the radar up, and I still will go to random things that yeah. just take my fancy. Because I just think, it just sometimes it just feels like, this is all a bit, bit of a weird one, it's a bit left field, it's bit odd some event or a ted talk thing or some conference of of an area that i'm not exactly involved in but i've got a mate who's there or whatever it is and i just go fuck it you know i'll i fancy it just i fancy being there because i've just got a feeling that maybe something good could come out of it and that's perfect because the 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 kind of thing that really i mean i'll be quite honest the, the thing that Put you put your flag in music mm. history was mm. was when you started XL Records yeah. and signed the Prodigy. Yeah. Um, but again, at that point, in hindsight, it's the Prodigy. It's dance music. It's the biggest thing. At that point, it wasn't the biggest thing. It was something that I'm sure you were just going. This seems interesting. There's something yes. here. It wasn't that. Oh, it's a guaranteed thing. No. I speak. I speak. Oh, oh, you wrote an article recently and. I found I, I thought a, a really good parallel in it was because you mentioned an opportunity you might not have got if you had stayed home and watched Game of Thrones. Yeah, but I think within that, there's a great example because I had one of the, the Game of Thrones guys on here right. a, a while back, and the fact is, in hindsight, Game of Thrones is Game of Thrones. When they got that gig, there were no big stars attached right to, uh, to it. It was just. An acting role for most of them, it was their first acting role. Yes. So again, it was taking that opportunity. That in hindsight, you go, well, of course, if you had the opportunity to be in Game of Thrones, you'd bite the hands off. Well, not at that point. At that no. point, no one was doing shows about dragons and knights. You you may have looked at that. I'm sure a lot of people got that audition through and went, 
Really? This seems ridiculous fantasy. Yeah. It's a bit nerdy or whatever yeah, else. That's a specialist yeah. thing, and let's let's. It's probably not for us. So no, let's uh, talk about that that kind of yeah that starting yeah. point of Excel and yeah and yeah when the dance industry was just about to explode. To bubble. Well, of course you are completely right that that you 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 often don't really know what you've got until a history kind of looks backwards. And then, and then shows you what yeah, you had. Yeah. So, um, you know, the prodigy wouldn't have. I mean, we, we you know, it, it was it was fortunate. I think there was two labels that Liam approached. Uh, there's yeah. a label called Tam Tam, and yep. that's because he was in an act. He was DJ, sorry, for an act called Cut to Kill rap act. Yeah. Uh, and then XL, he approached and he called up the off cold called the office. Uh, and uh, approached us because he liked some of the records that we'd put out yeah. ahead of, uh, you know, getting involved, some of the Frankie Bones stuff and yeah. all of that. So, yeah, on the prod thing, it was it was a case of take, accepting the cold call, having a little chat uh, over the phone, uh, Liam saying, can I come in and play you some stuff? And me going, yeah, okay, come in in I a couple it. of days' time and, yeah. and, and let's have a listen. And... Rather than thinking, ah, you know, it's a rat. Look, you know, I could have gone. Hey, our policy is: please send your demo cassettes in the post because yeah. I've got a big card. I would have had a big cardboard box of demo cassettes at the time, yeah. and that was sort of one of the ways that that records were signed, either from the, the demo cassette in the post or somebody had pressed up a white label and sent and that, it through. And that kind of remains at the at the same in a lot of ways. I remember. I believe it was after you'd left Excel, but I remember when I had, I've had a great, always had great experience of Excel with a, a Richard yeah. Russell who, t- who took over yeah. after you left. And I remember going in when me and Dan Lassac almost signed with Excel. It was down to our last three or four mm. labels. And I remember going in there and sitting waiting, and there was a big cardboard box that had a load of CDs and a load of tapes and stuff yeah. in. And that was that kind of, right, that's still a very hands on physical thing. It's like, here's some stuff. Admittedly, even. By that point, it's not just a you and Richard or you and a couple of others. Mm. It's offices of people who are all going, yeah. I'll grab a tape and pop that on yeah. while I'm upstairs. But yeah. there's still that mentality of, let's have a look at this at some point, you know? Yeah, and, and you know, but you don't know, you don't know what you've, you, you don't necessarily know what's there. I, and, and the music that I heard, I thought was good, solid, interesting, edgy, underground music, and it felt like the right thing to, to try and sign it um, yeah. and put it out. It, it wasn't signed, the Prodigy wasn't signed because this feels like smash, you know, there's yeah. smash hits here to be had. It was more like, this is great stuff. And, um, yeah, so a simple, you know, deal was done. Um, and we were the only, as I said, Liam only approached two labels, and we were the, I was the only person to... To, to say, yes, I want to do something. Yeah. So there was no competition. So it was really simple and smooth. And, and that's something that I've also found over the years, that quite a few of the, the things I've been involved in that have done well aren't these things where there's a big bidding war. And speaking from my experience running record labels, um, I've done well with things where there isn't a big bidding war and there's 14 labels all trying to outdo each yeah. other to sign it. 
my success is more often than not have been ones where maybe nobody wants to sign it or yeah. one other company wants to sign it. Um, and then, yeah, when I moved on from Excel and I started up Positiva, the, the, the track that kind of put Positiva on the map was I, I like to move it by reel to reel. Yeah. And, and the, everybody had passed on that. That was, we were the only, we were a newish label. Yeah. And we were the only ones to offer. And they'd hawked Strictly Rhythm in America, had hawked that around the established labels of the day. No um, and, and everybody was like, uh, not sure, not sure. Um, and I, I, even I, I wasn't sure at the beginning, but I decided that, that Dave Lambert, who uh, worked with me, in, encouraged me to say, hey, there is something in that, in this, you know, I think, I think we should do it. And then I basically agreed. I'm like, actually, you're right. I think there is. So let's, yeah. let's do it. But that just goes to show all the experts, so-called experts, got that wrong, and we yeah. signed it, put it out, and it was a complete smash. So, y- yeah. you know, you and never it's, know. It's those, the best relationships are those ones where everyone involved is excited to be there. Do you know what I mean? If, it's, if it has been a bidding war, they've gone to the highest bidder, rather than this is where we, really we wanted to be. be. Uh, with Liam, he'd yeah. sent that to two people. Yeah. You guys were one of them. Yeah. With... with, with wherever I like to move it, yep. that'd been knocked back everywhere. So yep. they would have been excited to be part of that. My, Definitely. Uh, and my lawyer early on, who I'm sure you must have had dealings uh, with, in fact, Paul Spragan, mm. also kind of a uh, West uh, London way. He was yeah. Well, one, a- actually, Prodigy's lawyer also. You yeah, might, yeah. yeah, he put me and Dan with Prodigy's a, a, accountant, yeah, uh, yeah, David exactly. McClark. Yeah, so yeah, it, yeah, there's yeah. been a huge a relationship there. But yes. Paul early on, number one, he did tons of work for us uh, without charging for ages because yep. we weren't making much money. And he's kind of an adorable yeah. hippie in that way for, for, for what you think of evil lawyers. Kids, yeah, but yeah. his point early on was like, look, what I'm going to do is a lot of work to draw up a bit of paper that in most situations and the dream scenario is going to go in a drawer and we're never going to look at it again. Yep. And that's it. The contracts and all this other stuff. If you're two people who want to work together, yeah. then none of that should matter. I'm sure there's stuff that, that we've done with Sunday Best or that Sunday Best have done with us that has been probably technically not what was agreed in the contract, but we've all wanted to do it yes. and, and you make it work rather than going, well, we're going to have to renegotiate because we... Because point was C yeah. says that we can... Yeah, exactly. I mean, and th- this is where a lot of the magic happens is... Um, two people, groups of people going, yeah, we, 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 we both recognise that we bring something valuable to the table here yeah. and we can, the greater good will be better for, for everyone, we think, if we work together. Yeah. And that is, you know, these are the sort of artists that I look to work with and I'm, I'm now a, an artist manager. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, yeah, take care of Liam, Prodigy, Word, yeah. Stanton Warriors, Bad Company UK. You see, I, f- I forget that because for t- over two years now, mm. me and Liam have been sending disjointed emails back and forth, arranging for him to come on the podcast. Yes. I should have just emailed you <laughs> um, several years back and said, <laughs> tell Liam when he's coming on the podcast. <laughs> so we can sort this out. Yeah. But well, yeah, that's perfect. It's, it is. It's, it's, it's one of the things I, I love about the music industry is when people know that there's many areas of it and many facets and many of the skills are transferable. Mm. So rather than going, well, I'm a label manager. I want, this is what I'm meant to do and I want to go to bigger labels and bigger labels. Mm. You can go, well, I know how to do this and this works and I can help in this way. 
yeah. and you can adapt around the industry. And and now that's you know something that's really needed is is an adaptive, flexible mindset because the industry is changing fast around us. Yeah. So <clears throat> you do need to be able to morph. And yeah, I mean, I've I'm a, I'm primarily an artist manager. Um, currently, but yeah, I, I morphed away from being a record label runner uh, because uh, the market changed, yeah. and and there was a period where I thought, "Wow, this has got really hard work. It doesn't really make sense anymore. I need to do something a bit different." So then I started a publishing business and just started to ex- kind of work a little bit in the management area and grew that. And you have to, you have to. You have to amend, ebb, flow, and be open to yeah. new opportunities, um, and have the radar up and look at stuff and consider stuff. Talk to people. The amount of a very important thing to me is the amount of opportunities that that come up just by engaging in a random conversation yeah. with somebody. And there may be nothing in it on the surface of it, but yeah. you, you speak for a couple of minutes and then, oh, actually, oh, really? You, you're yeah. so-and-so did, oh, well, yeah, get him to send it to me because, oh, that sounds interesting. And then suddenly you've found something really interesting, yeah. but it's come through a sort of circuitous, circuitous route yeah. like uh, that you might not have even expected. Yeah, So completely. very important, I think. And again, it's, the, it's that openness and positivity mm. to, to move around rather than get stubborn and angry. I had... Mm. Had Jimmy Iovine on a few weeks back, and it, it it really strikes me as a similar outlook there of going rather than going, oh, the record industry is dying. A lot of people in the industry at the time, <coughs> yeah. you you have seen as much as I did, were stubborn and angry about. Yeah. Well, no, we need to stop illegal download. We need to stop and do this and do that. It's like mm-hmm. there's certain things you can't stop, so just start moving with it. Yeah. Start start moving about. Start changing it. I'm, start seeing what works. I'm not saying it's easy to do that though, no, because if you're you know if you're if you've grown up on on the value of music and you've grown up with with music having a a, a price and a value yeah. and generating income, it is difficult for somebody to go, "Hey, man, just give it away. It's all cool." Yeah. Just and and. It's not easy to just go, yeah, okay, well, I'll just give a load of music away mm-hmm. and, and, and that's what needs to do because I'm flexible. And in my case, you know, sometimes I've been like slow to, you know, I've been slow to embrace some changes and sometimes I've gone, wow, I'm not sure, not sure I get and, this. And, and, but, understand but, it completely. But, but, but then sometimes just, sometimes it's the right thing to not yeah. understand something for a while. I mean, Dubstep is, is an example that I give to people of a genre that I wasn't early on. Yeah. I, I, I wasn't there uh, when there was 50 people in a, in a basement. Plastic people. Yeah, I wasn't there. Yeah. So I, I, I was there and I didn't get it. Okay. Honestly, I was, I was there well, a few times. you were a step times. ahead of a, me then. A few of my, my mates uh, worked the door at Plastic People and right. did things like that. So I'd often go along to see them and I'd stand there and be like, I don't really get this, but... But you were yeah, well. Fair finally... play to you that you at least were in a in an environment absorbing it. I was kind of hearing bits on the radio going, "No, nope, don't get it, don't get it." Don't get it. And yeah. then it was a well. You see, it was a random conversation. Actually, I uh, got chatting to Benga when yeah. I was waiting for uh, an aeroplane to go to Miami, just yeah. ahead of Miami Music Week in 2009. And I'd never met the guy, but I found myself standing next to him in the queue. And I sort of ended up having a conversation. And he was like, oh, you know, I'm playing this 
party on Tuesday night or whatever, you should come down, man. And I'm like, yeah, I will. I need to go and see this because I've, yeah. I've never been to a dubstep gig at that point. Yeah. Um, and then I went down and then I went, ah, pennies dropping. It makes a world of difference oh, in the room, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, so then I went, I'm like, whoa, this is exciting. It's vibrant. It's good. Yeah. It makes sense to me. And at that point, then I was like, wow, now, now I'm ready now this is something that I'd like to be involved in in some yeah. shape or form. And then incredibly fortuitously, Casper was drenched at that point in, in communication and remixes and gigs and all sorts of stuff because he was right at the heart of yeah. that exploding scene. Him, Banger, Scream, these, Rusko, these guys were, were doing great work. Um, Again, and- all, all weirdly, guys, I watched in that basement of Plastic People right. with hardly anyone there a curtain across to make it kind of more yeah. intimate and dark and ah yeah. well you you, you check but that was a few years of turnover to oh to yeah to get to that point uh, to, to get to the point where it all kicked off and then fortunately um, so Bengal was saying to Casper man you need a manager you can't do all of this on your own yeah. and Casper was like well I, I don't know who would be who I should talk to, to be honest. And Benga said, oh, I met this guy in Miami or in the airport or whatever a couple of weeks ago. You should, you should go and see this guy. He seems yeah. all right. And Casper uh, called me up, came, in, came to my office, played me some stuff and said, yeah, I'm wondering if you might be interested in managing yeah. me. And I said, yeah, absolutely. I'm up for it if you are, man. It's- and in, in that meeting, we basically shook hands and we said, okay, let's go for it. So then, and then opened this, you know, going through one door and another door, whatever. And then, then the world of dubstep opened up to me and suddenly I'm right in the thick of, you know, arranging Casper touring America. And we went everywhere. Yeah. Well, I went to... I mean, one of the craziest places was we went to Kazakhstan, for yeah. example. So he did it. He got booked to play at an event in in Almaty, and um, wow. who's going to end up in in Almaty? Yeah, um, it's not somewhere that you go on holiday. But they had an underground club there, and they and they, they were aware that dubstep was blowing up, and the local promoters were like, let's bring in one of the leading guys from London, and uh, the offer came through, and. Myself and uh, Gary, we were all like, wow, this will be fun, won't it? Yeah, yeah, got to be done. And so something happened, a random conversation just yeah. in, a, in, in, a, an in an airport with somebody that I'd never met, and then something else, and something else, and then, you know. All leading on. All it's being like, open to it. Um, yeah. I, I told you at the start, I've got, I've got my notes, and my notes mm. are always in a really logical order, and they make loads of sense, and then mm. I don't look at them and go off on tangents constantly, which mm. is how this seems to work. But mm. you mentioned Benga there, um, yeah. and Benga is someone who, again, I saw in the scene for years and then would see at festivals. L- literally every time I've met him, he's th- thought it's the first time we've met. Because right. it's a messy scene. It's, you know, there's often a lot of... Yeah, uh, you know, a messier for of, some than others, of course. Yeah, you know. yeah of course, but... Um, Benga is someone who I thought spoke beautifully and honestly about mental health mm. in recent years. And yes. I know that you've worked with Calm over the years, as have I and as has, has Eddie. Um, and it's, it's a really interesting one in this industry, because this is an industry that can throw people in, throw them to the top, which can expose them to yeah. a lot of potential downfalls yeah. and then spit them out as quick as anything. And Dubstep's yeah. an example of that, how huge it was and then how the, the drop-off was huge. And Brutal. Then, you know, so how has that been something that you've, you've, you've found your way into to being involved with and um, championing and trying to, to, to bring more exposure to the, 
the dangers of 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 not looking after your mental health. I, I guess. mean, I wouldn't say that I uh, am a am a massive advocate um, in in that area. I yeah. just try and I try and do my bit here and yeah, there. Really, yeah. um, uh, I am aware of the statistics. So even yeah. outside of the music industry, this shocking statistic of of it be of of suicide being the the main killer of, of males in the UK yeah. between the age of eighteen and forty five or whatever yeah. it is. It's madness, it's, it's, isn't it? Not yeah, drugs, not, not, not car, car accidents, not any of these other things. It's it's crazy. Um, so I'm aware that that there's potential big problems, and I do think yeah, the music industry probably attracts a lot of people that aren't really best suited to being in the music industry, unfortunately. So uh, there's a lot of artists who are um, very sensitive souls and they are expected to... They're either either put on a pedestal or through the quality of their work, they sort of end up being elevated. And then they're, they're in a position... Where, of course, now with this 24-7 online yeah. social media world, where whenever they turn on their mobile phone and see what's going on, there'll be somebody chucking a rock at them saying, you're 100%. shit. And there might be somebody going, you're great. Yeah, and That's difficult for anybody to handle, even if you're really, really yeah. kind of strong and... and and, and, and tough person, I think that still would be hard. Yeah. So, so and believing either can be equally damaging. If you're believing all of the people saying you're a god, that can be damaging when you do something that reveals you're a human. And yeah. equally, believing the people who are saying you're a worthless piece of shit is going to destroy you. You know, it's it's it's, yeah. it's mad because we have this illusion of of the celebrity, of the artist, of whoever else, and people often more so in social media forget that these are, are humans. And as you said. This is just coming to their pocket in their yeah. phone, and they might have had a rough day, and they're just having. A, I'll, quick, I'll quickly look at my phone, and someone is it's saying, saying, "Fuck you, dubstep shit," or, yeah, know, or, your or, shit. or whatever else, your shit, and this and that. It's like, man, it's it's it, dangerous. It really is dangerous. It's tough, and and what I think it one thing I think that that can really help artists is if they if they just realise that that it's you can manage this stuff rather than letting it manage you yeah. so so there are ways to 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 deal with it you don't have to be on 24 mm. 7 completely dip in dip out and if yeah. you're lucky enough to uh you know if you have a good structure around you if you manage if you have an artist manager who you trust yeah. uh for example that can be a great person to 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 say sort of yeah what's uh, you know, give me an overview of 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 what's going on at the moment because you yeah. don't necessarily yourself need to delve into all of the detail. Yeah, completely, um, I agree. I, and I think it's, it's, it's something that's really over pushed these days is that the music industry's changed and the artists can do it all themselves. And I think that can be damaging. I think some people aren't built for that, and some people aren't made for that. And so the addition of a good artist manager, a good label, a good whomever yeah. can really help you take you to that next level. I always give the example of Kate Tempest, who's been a, 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 like a, a little sister of mine since she came onto the scene and taking her on tour and seeing her just be amazing and an absolute 
a whirlwind of talent and seeing what made her break and become big enough to be headlining Brixton wasn't any great improvement in her talent. It wasn't any new song that was such a leap from the previous songs. Mm. It was taking on some management to organise her world, to put it all together in one place and go, look, here's how we're doing it. Here's what we need to do. Because a lot of artists are exactly that. Yeah, I'll do that. Oh, let's do that as well. Let's go over there and do that. And you burn yourself out. You detract from other projects because of the amount of projects. And it can be a great addition to have that. The, the, again, the myth that the labels have all died because they were all greedy and they were ripping people off and now it's just in the parody artist. That's, that's uh, a dangerous yeah. outlook at times. And it's one that I came in with. I remember right. coming in um, and I was hugely annoyed that when our first single came out, it was in the top 40. We were having meetings with majors and meetings with indies. And some of the indies were clueless. Yeah. Some of the majors really got what we were doing yeah. and that was heartbreak because in my mind the majors are just money churning machines and they're not going to get us artistically and the indies are the ones who'll get us it wasn't the truth of the indies it was honestly down to excel and sunday best and that was it that, that yeah. really made us go they get us they know what we're doing here it wasn't and we met tons i think i think you need to go go for the great people find yeah. great people to work with and yeah it's it's wrong to think that that because somebody works for a major that they're inherently evil or that they're this or they're that or the other. And the same is true. You know, you, just because you're somebody at a cool indie, it doesn't mean anything out. It doesn't mean that you're necessarily at this, that or the other. But I think, yeah, my advice to sort of young artists, for sure, speak to people, you know, sound them out, try and spend time with them and try not to turn up to meetings with management or labels or whatever with too many preconceptions. Yeah. That, oh, this guy's all about the money, but yeah. this guy's all about the art. Because yeah. it's rarely that yeah. Um, yeah. in life. And But definitely, good teams are really important. And again, over the years, I've been very happy to, to be... Um, to have great teams around me or be part of great teams. I'm not the person who will say, I can make this happen myself. It's all about me. I'll, I'll... No, it's not. It's about a combination of talents. And you look at the, 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 the artists who've got real staying power and have really done something that's important, and you will find great teams around them. Now, yeah. some mercurial artists might fire their management on a regular basis and they still are a great mercurial talent um but uh, you know there's not that many really great artists that that stand the test of time who kind of take it take out their frustrations on the management sack the management sack the label sack this um the, the good ones kind of recognise that, you know what, we'll have our ups and downs and the label 100%. ain't all great, yep. but there's some frustrations, but there's some good stuff, and then they'll figure out, generally, it, it's about having good people around you. I, I had a conversation on, um, with uh, with Chris Martin, um, actually, and uh, it sounds like a terrible name drop, and Brian no, no. Eno as well, funnily enough, in, in the street once, and, and Chris was talking about about you know the yeah, the value of good management and having good people around you and help the way that can help uh, help an artist and at whatever level you're at even if you're just a, you're a grime MC and you've just put out your first thing if you can get some good people around you yeah. it's going to help you so you can focus on what you're do, doing yes. and what you're good at I had 
again, in the Jimmy Iovine interview, he nailed it with saying, cast your life correctly. Because mm. if you've cast your life well, you've got the right people around you. You don't mind losing arguments, and you don't mind people picking apart an idea, because it's being picked apart by, in his example, by Dr. Dre, <laughs> or by this person or that person. Yeah. It's like... That's, it can't that's be that a, bad, yeah. yeah. That's a great outlook of... It then is. you don't mind... You don't get stuffed up and go, well, no, this was the idea. Well, it's, it's like, well, no, you've surrounded yourself with great people who can go, I'm not sure if that idea works. And you respect that and can take that. Well, well I think as an artist manager, one thing that you've got to get used to is, you, is putting forward your opinion and going, okay, right, this is what I think. And the artist will hear that. And, but then not being so hung up on your own sort of self-importance yeah. um, that, that you stick to, no, this is my opinion, this is what it needs to be because I really think it needs to be. Yeah. Quite often you need to go, this is what I think, but you're the artist. You're the artist. So, you so I'm saying route A would be, I think is probably the best one for us. If you're going to say, Nick, I want to go route C, yeah. Let's go Route C, and I'll and I'll stand behind you and 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 will and, and alongside you, and we're going to try to the best of our ability to de- to deliver Route C. And that's the key there to jump in to the route that wasn't your choice with as much passion as you would have jumped into your route, rather than being well, this isn't what yeah. I would have done yeah. the whole time. You, you Almost need to be able w- to wanting it to fail to prove a point. It's like no, no, go get. Uh, once you're on that team, you're yeah. on that team. You that's know? that's it. So, and I've definitely had to do that. Uh, well, I'd say it's quite a common thing for me to say, I think this will be best. Um, uh, and then for somebody to say, oh, you know, mm, no, I, I, would re- I, I think this. And then, okay, cool, let's, let's do it. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's rewind back, because I want to yeah. get a bit of a history lesson on how, what was kind of the starting point of, of Excel? Because mm. what I know of Excel is your name and mm. Richard Russell's name. Yep. Um, I know that you guys... You or, or kicks like a mule was yes, was, 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 was you guys putting out you, your own music and getting in the charts and having that sex. Yeah. What, what 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 was kind of the origin of XL and how did it it build into the the monster that it is now? Yes. I mean, it's one of the weird ones that it's an indie, but it's an indie that's got Adele and some of the biggest selling artists. It's a major, really. Yeah. It's, it's essentially turned itself into a major. So, yeah. So, yeah. what was that kind of starting point well, for you? Well, basically, I started working... when I, I talked about secret promotions previously. Yeah. And then I started working... I left there and started working as a club promo guy for a guy called Tim Palmer, who had a label called City Beat. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the reasons that I was attracted to working with, with Tim uh, and the, the City Beat label was that uh, when I uh, first met him, I said, hey, it's cool and I'm happy to do club promotions, but if I find a good record that I like that we could maybe sign, is it cool for me to sort of bring it in and go, hey, how about we sign this? To which he's like, yeah, of course, absolutely. Yeah. So I thought, that's great, because that was a step on from working as a promo person, yeah, yeah, where yeah. I was kind of getting delivered a lot of finished records yeah. and saying, all right, go ahead and promote these finished records. So Now I, you're getting to scout them a little scout bit. Scout them, and, and, yeah. and yeah, like when you're a prom- club promotion guy, I did find myself thinking, oh, if only they'd got a different remixer, or if only the radio right, had been yeah, a bit yeah. shorter... But you're working with a fin- you know you're working with a finished product. You might have a thousand records to mail out, and that, that it is what it is. The yeah. remixer is the remixer. Away you go, Nick. So 
so I started working there for um, for Tim, and then um, one of the early records I signed uh, to City Beat was a, a record called Numero Uno uh, right. uh, by Starlight. And yeah. the way I found this record was that um, Danny Rampling, who's funnily enough one of one of the guests in the the, the Trailblazers podcast, uh, played it at a club in uh, Maidenhead. Yeah. Um, and I was at the back of the the room, and I heard this record come on, and I just thought, "Wow, God, this is good. What is this?" Pre Shazam, pre mobile, all of yeah. that. Sprinted up to the decks. I was like, "Wow, this record's great. What is it?" Peered over. White label spinning around, trying bit of writing on it, trying to read it. Ah, and it says "fuck off, nosy" on the white label. <laughs> so I thought, right, maybe I'm not gonna <laughs> find out exactly what it is today. But uh, but then I, I kind of sung, called up Tracks Records uh, a couple of the, the next day or whatever, sung it down the phone to them. Amazing. They told me, yeah, well, that's Numero Uno, Nick. Um, Danny Rampling's got one, Trevor Fung's got a copy, blah, blah, blah. About three or four people had, had got copies of the record. Um, and so we got Trevor Fung to come into our office, he played us the record off his own vinyl copy. We uh, faxed, of course it was faxed, and yeah. they say, faxed the Italian record label an offer. They said, yeah, we're happy to sign to you, and the, and the record was signed. And that, uh, yeah, that record then exploded. And it gave me one of the highest points I, I ever sort of remember in the industry. There's nothing quite like, you, you know, the first time that you, that you have a proper hit record um, because all, everything's been building up to that point. Being a yeah. little kid running the mobile disco or, or, and these, these other bits and pieces that I did um, that we might still circle back to when I was working in New York or whatever, blagging my way into places. All of it sort of led, led up to signing a, a record that I really believed in and seeing it explode. And I remember listen to, listening to the, to the charts um, being read out, and it had gone in at number 39, and we were expecting it to, to, to rise. And they kept reading it up to 21, it's this, up to number 20. Uh, and I started to think, oh, God, it, we must have really messed this up. It must have dropped, must have out, dropped out. out of the 40. No, but in the end, it was like up from 39 to 17 or whatever. Yeah. Starlight Numero Uno. And, it, and I was just cartwheeling around this yeah. shared sort of student house, really, I suppose, I used to live in in those days. And it was, it was amazing. So that, all of that and that success, and it went on to be a top 10 record, enabled Tim Palmer to go, okay, Nick, you've proved yourself. You've you done can it, yeah. tell what a hit sounds like. And then I pitched uh, to Tim. I said, hey, well, I think the City Beat is, is fine and there's some commercial dance on it and some kind of more solely stuff and some rap and all good. But I think we should be launching something that is more underground-focused, that's, mm-hmm. that's not trying to have hits. And that's a really interesting thing. 100%. It's like just, you know, I, want, I think we should be putting out really good underground records that cater to this burgeoning scene that we've got around us at the moment this yeah. the, you know the rave scene for yeah. one of a better phrase that's that's kind of emerging and let's just put out really good underground records and build a, a label identity um and do that and not be too worried about in the the, the signing process thinking is it is it a radio one playlist record or not yeah. 
And Tim was like, yeah, that's great, let's, let's do that. And that was essentially the birth of, of Excel there. Um, and, then, and then I signed uh, a bunch of underground records and nothing much happened at the, at the front end. A couple of things came out, did a few bits and pieces. And then, yeah, I'd signed uh, some Frankie Bones stuff because he was exploding as yeah. a, this American DJ coming in and playing big, big parties and making some great records. Um, and yeah, and and uh, that was all evolving and developing, and that was yeah, kind of led to Liam coming in and yeah. me signing um, the, the the prodigy, um, and then kept doing uh, what we were doing essentially, and yeah. what and kept getting better at it, yeah. and then the market was growing all the time. Huge so so. So you'd have, they're probably, if there was some graph, there probably were thousands of new people on a weekly basis yeah. getting drawn into this scene who, who'd missed it five months ago, but they'd gone to their first big party and they yeah. were like, wow, this is great. I'm up for this scene. I'm up for, for buying this music and going to these parties. Um, and uh, so that is, is what happened. And we, we would sign a record like uh, Anastasia um, by uh t99 yeah and and you know really hard edged heavy record but that would then chart top 15 and yeah. cubic 22 night in motion so you know these records started to really deliver big style yeah. um and it's beautiful that that's on a label that was made for not that for purely the artistic for finding the right things did you find because I'm, uh, it's just come to my head now, but it feels logical that as the Prodigy, for example, blew up, that it pushed some of the back catalogue as well. So yeah. Some of the back catalogue artists that had just been s- s- ticking over, but are what attracted Liam and, 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 and the Prodigy guys and all that. Did that kind of see a bit of a boost as well as the scene yeah, was growing I, I and growing? Think, I think so, yeah. I think definitely we got to a point where, for sure, we could we could put out records in that XL range bag and, yeah. and people just go, yeah, I'll take it because I, yeah. I trust the label enough to, yeah. to, 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 you know, to take it blind almost. Yeah, and the label was that, that, that logo and look. It was kind of iconic of that scene. It was a known, yeah, that's what you're looking for. Ab- absolutely. So, um, yeah, uh, it, it, was, it was a beautiful thing to see the, the way that things could grow from the start point of 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 ex, you know excitement and passion and and a feeling for for chasing something that's good and special and and all of that rather than the start point being how do we have hits here yeah and again that beauty of yeah it, it's 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 something that i experience and it's easy to to fall into that trap but our first big single was thou shall always kill yeah. after that on the, on the second record even, there was kind of, even without too much pressure from the label, obviously there was some, yeah. you start looking at the next record and going, so what's a Radio 1 song? What's this and what's that? Thou Shout was never a Radio 1 song. It got played in spite of not being a Radio 1 song. And then the first time I did a solo record on my own label, I went, well, fuck what a Radio 1 song is and put out Introduction. Yeah. And that's the... the the second song in my back catalogue that's had the most plays. Kind of yep. it, was, it was in it was thou shout and then introduction because yep. it was going right. We keep trying to go what would work and what would fit. 
just make a, a what's good and it'll it'll find yeah, its own way. Yeah, I mean, again, I uh, you know some people ask sort of me what is the the, the sort of role these days of a of a record label what what are the main things that you're supposed to be bringing to the table in, in is it a and r or is it just money these days or what or what have you and and something that i always say is that is that what you're trying to do is you're trying to you're not trying to give the public what they want yeah um you're actually trying to find something that they don't even know they want Completely. yet. yeah. <clears throat> so do something that's good. I mean, if you'd done a survey of music uh, buyers or, or streamer, people who stream music or whatever and said, what is your ideal artist? Tell, we're a market research company. Tell us what you want. We're universal or whoever, and, and we need to know what you want. They wouldn't have said, well, I want a white-haired ginger kid from Suffolk and I'd like him to rap a bit. Who's going to say that? Because yeah. you've got everything stacking up against you. Yeah, yeah. But if it's good and it's compelling, then suddenly everybody realises, yeah, that Ed Sheeran guy, he's great. I he's like him. I want, I want to support him. But they wouldn't have known that so that true. was what yeah. they wanted. Completely. It's, it's so true. I always remember kind of arguing that when um, Lily Allen mm. blew up, because she mm-hmm. blew up at a time that it was very m- male indie dominated yes, the music right. scene and Lily Allen blew up and suddenly every label was trying to sign a female singer-songwriter they and were. again there were people like Kate Nash and Adele who I think were fantastic and came you know possibly wouldn't have got as early attention if it wasn't for that kind of rush for those artists but again my argument at the time was well that's not a solve all you know the no. reason Lily blew up and stood out was because no one else was doing that not because everyone was sitting there going I really wish we'd hear that. In fact, the reason she blew up was because Britpop or India had blown up and all the labels were going, who's the next Oasis? Who's the next this? Who's the next that? Yep. And people got bored of it. Yeah. There was a million bands I like that all of a sudden. So going that route only has a limited you know, amount of return to it. There's going to be a point where you go, well, now every band sounds exactly the same because you're all trying to find yep. the next Oasis or the next... or Radiohead or whoever there's you know it's fine to try and find the next Oasis and and there was there was a period with major labels where we saw whatever Duffy break one year and then maybe it was Amy Winehouse might have broken a year later or something and people were like oh she's the next Duffy and and that's fine for people to go hey this has happened so can something else happen and that's okay I don't have a problem with it but Often the, the the great stuff um, won't it, yeah it just won't have a queue of people wanting to sign it or want to back it because it it's there isn't the history it doesn't feel yeah. I mean the prodigy didn't there wasn't a live act mm-hmm. um, when um, when when I, I I signed it it was it, that came after yeah. the the first uh, after, that came out after the music you yeah. know. Yeah, so. exactly. And speaking of, of not having a queue of people to s- s- sign it or wanting it, it must yeah. be a hard one to spot. And, I mean, a little birdie told me, that's, that's Eddie Temple Morris, um, mm. that you had four or five, if, if, if not five or six demos in, um, from a certain a Richard D. James, 
Well, um, well, no, I didn't have that many. I had well, you one. Had some. You had one. But, and again, it just didn't cl- oh, no, it click didn't, or grab. But no, it didn't people click will, for me. A lot of people will know that already being the man that brought the public the prodigy is a big thing. If you'd been the man that brought the public the prodigy and Aphex Twin, mm. you know, how insane would that have been? But again, it's finding, it's clicking at the right time and, and knowing yeah, what works. Yeah, no, I've still, I mean, I've still got the, the, de- the demo cassette uh, that uh, I should have brought it along today, actually, shouldn't I? <laughs> I've still got Aphex Twin's, um, yeah, demo cassette. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I can't really say particularly why. It wasn't something that I wanted to move on at the time, but I think there was lots going on. I probably had multiple rec- offers out for other things, and stuff was busy with. And you just go, you can't have them all. So again, it's I'd rather, yeah, focus on the, you know, the good stuff or whatever. I'm not, uh, yeah, in no way do I regret not signing yeah. Apex. I don't think I would have been. The, the best person to sign him anyway. And that's that's a wonderful uh, realisation. I have a thing on this podcast often that I'll have people approach me to come on and I'll turn them down, not because they're shit, not because they're not worthy of the honour of being on the stretcher piece, but because I'm not the right person to get a, a good interview out of them. Yeah. It's always kind of... I genuinely... It's not me softening the blow to anyone. It's genuinely I look at it and go, I don't know enough about that. Or even... It's not an area that excites me enough. Because I don't, I don't have to know everything about it, but it's not an area that excites me enough to get a good interview out of that person. That They're better suited with... I mean, Eddie's a prime example, because mm. a lot of the dance artists, for example, I've never been that knowledgeable on. Mm. So unless there's something in there, a little bit of history or something that twigs or excites me, then it's not right. Whereas it's not the for someone like Eddie, who's... Yeah. Again, I always remember learning early on that Anyone who detracts from Eddie Temple Morris by saying, oh, he's just over-enthusiastic about everything, he's not. He just f- focuses on the stuff he's enthusiastic about. Yeah. That's the bit that counts. You speak to him, there's loads of stuff he thinks is shit. Yes. There's loads of stuff he despises. But he does But he focuses on the stuff that excites him and has him bubbling over. And yeah. it's what I decided to do on the podcast. Hugely influenced by Eddie and by Zane Lowe as well, who's another yes. one of people who go, he's yeah. so... This is the best album in the world, and it's because like, he can choose and, and only yes. focus on the stuff that he genuinely thinks is the best. And and you have to create parameters uh, to do some of your best work. Yeah. So uh, it, it, and this applies whether you, I, I think in all fields actually, whatever it is that you that you whatever zone of activity that you that you choose to be in, some parameters will help you to 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 be great so a jack white or whatever just has a uh, you know a set palette of sounds or, yeah. or 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 visual influence or whatever and works to be the very strongest within that area and it's the same with it's it's the reason that i didn't want to 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 uh, sort of necessarily be uh, someone who who worked across a really broad range of acts yeah. so, so when i was running positiva the the the, the kind of em a couple of people within emi the view was well naturally you're presumably going to want to be the head of a and r is your next step 
Yeah. Because you're doing great work with all the dance and electronic stuff, I presume you want to do pop acts and rock acts and MOR and the whole thing, right? Well, no, I actually don't want to be head of A&R for, yeah. for EMI, even, you know, even if, if you think that I potentially can be, that's great. And yeah. um, I, it's just not um, something that I don't really want to be working with artists that, that I'm not really um, passionate about. Yeah. I want to put uh, my well, focus and my energy... as well, right? I want to put my focus and energy into, into artists and records that I believe yeah. in, that I love, and that I can push forwards rather than having a, a, a big roster to, to kind of A&R across yeah. indie bands and, and MOR and, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, I found myself in some unusual kind of situations during uh, the period that I was running Positiva within EMI and some of it was great. So John Taylor from Duran Duran yeah. came in, he had a new album, wanted to talk about remixes and stuff, plays me some new music off the record and have a great chat and I'm like, oh, you should check this. Oh, great, I will check that. Lovely. So something Amazing. like that, really yeah. cool. Um, but then I also got roped in once into um, a Vanessa May meeting yeah. where she had some new classical album and like they thought, oh, let's get the, the, the dance guy in because right. there might be some remixes. Yeah. And and that was not a fun You've hour and a half. Yeah. It was awful. So you know that's that's me. No, I I can I like to bring uh, a sort of energy and passion and and hope and and do some stuff that I believe in. And then really, there's an element of just hoping that others like it. Yeah. And sometimes people won't. And I've definitely had that. I've had artists I've signed, records I've signed. I've really believed that they're that they're great. And I've put a lot of time and energy, and they've come out, done nothing, um, and. You know, it's it's that can be frustrating, but at least I can go. Well, at least I believed in it, and I that's exactly went it. for it. At, at least than, you've, it's it's something that you yeah you 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 can be excited about, regardless of commercial success. Yes, this was good because I know. Yeah, at we least in, at know. least it was good. Now, and if you if you put time and energy into something that you don't really believe in, and then it doesn't succeed. Yeah. Wow. Then you look in the mirror and go, that's yeah. kind you, of. You don't that's really have great. to pay off if it re- succeeds because you're kind of going, oh, this is not Didn't really like good. It anyway. And, and so on and so forth. And exactly. I want to talk about the Trailblazers yeah. podcast. I'm going yeah. off on all sorts of tangents. Yeah. Before we get onto that, I just mm. want to talk quickly because you've spoken of, of, of Positiva and your move yeah. from Excel over to yeah. EMI where yeah. Positiva was an imprint. Yeah. Yeah. Um, kind of in that realm around that time, it's kind of you helped bring Adam F to yeah. EMI and Adam F Chaos I think is yeah. a, a classic album with some of the best um, people in rap and yeah. weirdly a guy who DJs at my, at my club night DJ Destruction mm. worked on a lot of that album mm. with Adam he also came second place to Liam Howlett in the DMC finals Amazing. years ago he's got a tape off the radio of them going oh, okay. back and forth and he DJs at my club night every month and I think he's the best kept secret in, in mm. live DJ but how was that to kind of bring Adam F over? Because it yeah. really was someone that felt like they had the sound of an underground. Being with EMI, suddenly they had access to Redman, to, to LL Cool J, to, to, yeah. to, to huge people. Well, that was exciting as, yeah. a, as a British kind of sounding thing. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the, the basically drum and bass was starting to really be vibrant at an underground yeah. level. There hadn't been that many crossover records um, coming out of the scene. But there was definitely 
an excitement and a sizzle and an energy there. And so I, again, I knew that I kind of wanted to do something in that area. Yeah. And I'd looked at a few bits and pieces and I hadn't quite figured out sort of or found the, the right artist. Um, and, but then I fell in love with Circles, Adam yeah. F's Circles track. Yeah. And then I heard a couple of other bits that, he, that he'd done. And then I went round to his house and he played me just on, a, on the keys uh, and then sung uh, a, a song to me, uh, which became a, rec- a, a song called The Tree Knows Everything, which right. is a Tracy Thorne uh, cut on yeah. uh, Adam's first album, Colours. Yeah. And funnily enough, that there was the moment where I was like, yeah, need to sign this guy. Yeah. Because he's not just a, a DJ, producer, knocking out 100%. club-aimed drum and bass bangers. This is a guy who's got some depth to yeah, him yeah. because he's going somewhere else or he has the potential to go somewhere else. Um, and, yeah, uh, yeah. so that was one where I thought we really... He's a great talent, really need to work with him. Yeah. And I wanted to sign him album firm to, yeah, the, the F Jams imprint to Positiva and then sort of through EMI. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, just kind of it was a case of, again, encouraging him to do what he's good at um, and providing some advice and guidance, some of which was taken on board, some of which wasn't. Yeah. Uh, and, um, yeah, I have a wry smile, actually, because yeah. I'm just thinking of an anecdote where Adam had his live act kind of developing. Yeah. And he really uh, enjoy- it sort of wanted to... To, to kind of have a, a laser at yeah. his key shows. I mean, who wouldn't want to have a sure, laser? if it's an option. If you're doing Glastonbury or, what, or whatever, yeah, yeah. you know. So at certain of these things, yeah, you know, production budgets, what have you, boom. And then, uh, and then he, was, he was booked to, to do a couple of live shows in Japan. And I remember sort of going, mate, you know, like, no, we can't, you know, hire a laser out there or take what, it doesn't add up but you know do the shows and it'll all be great whatever oh don't you think there's a way that we could sort this out you know we did it for this festival well yeah but uh no i don't think so and then i i remember getting a phone call uh from somebody it was like a sunday morning at like nine in the morning it was like oh you know sort of adam's at the airport and uh sort of there's i don't know there's two grand of of over additional baggage costs are you nick are you cool to put that on the company credit card or whatever and he'd actually sort of hired a laser himself kind of split it in amongst the different bag managed to get it out to japan without paying anything extra but then got clobbered on the way back so i just smile because it's just that example of somebody like i want it to be the best i I want it to to be be great you know but but unfortunately, it wasn't an ideal. It might not have been two grand. It might have been seven grand of yeah. or something. But uh, I wasn't best pleased at the time. But it's funny. And Adam's a talent. And, and then I went on to to manage Adam sort of uh, subsequently. So yeah. in, 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 you know, when I was kind of became more of an artist manager. And he's, yeah. he's a great guy, very talented. But... Um, you know, maybe he isn't. He probably is one of these people who, who I think ha- still has more to, yeah. to, to give. You know, and the thing that's, that always struck me with Adam was his ability, as you said, to kind of adapt and dip into other genres yep. and not just dip in in a 
here's my token hip-hop song or whatever else. Dip in immerse. and smash it and immerse. I, I, I hold smash something up there with Anti Up, with Simon Says, with, of, with, yeah. with the true classics of, of hip-hop bangers. And it's up there. And this was, at the time, from some drum and bass guy I've yeah. seen the singles of in the vinyl section yeah. at HMV. I white, didn't know white kid what, what from was. out in Hertfordshire or yeah. what have you. Oh, I mean, and something, something that Adam also was good at was, was, again, he would, if he set his sights on uh, doing something, he, he wouldn't mind waiting around, you know, at the... And outside the the art the entrance to the artist compound or by the trailer for four hours until yeah. that artist walked past, so he could go. Excuse me, I don't want to bother you, but I'm a producer, and can you just take this? And if you can give me three minutes to listen, Amazing. that kind yeah. of that thing hustle. he he would he would do. Um, and uh, I, this probably brings me back to. I've touched on it once or twice. Uh, I worked in New York for a while. Yeah. And, and maybe it kind of links in, because I, f- I found myself working in, in New York during one of my summer vacations. And again, it's just a, a bit like Adam doing that, which was the kind of thing he was doing to get a Beanie Man or, yeah. or whoever or Red or Meth, whatever on his, on his records. He, would, he, he wouldn't just go, oh, it's up to the record label to, can't you give him another call or fax him to see if he's available. He would go and stalk people to get them on his record. And and it just makes me think, that makes me think of New York where, where, again, just if you can put your, if you can get yourself in close proximity to where interesting stuff is happening, you've got, you've certainly got half a chance of something great happening. So you're you're opening yourself up for that infamous lucky moment that happened to come it's like well you there is some luck but you put yourself there you you, well, well, you were there for that luck. that's right and the reason I, I kind of want revert back to this is one of my most pivotal moments in my career actually yeah. happened when I was working in New York so um I heard so I got a work visa to be in America for the summer and I got myself a job as a cinema usher in the evenings in, in Queens. Uh, and then I thought, hey, what I want to do, though, in the daytime, I'd like to be working at a record label or a radio station or something. But how do I do that? And I, I, and I kind of I knew that just sending letters off, yeah. have you got internships, generally wouldn't work. And I had tried some of that and it didn't work. Um, so I came up with a scheme and I thought, oh, I know what, here's an idea. I'll phone up um, the head of WBLS main the leading black music station in new york at the time and i'll ask if i can interview him i'll say i'm writing an article for i'm a journalist from the uk and i'm writing an article on new york radio yeah i'll fuck it give it a go right um so i phone up uh, and speak to his assistant and then 10 minutes later the assistant calls back and says yeah you basically yeah come in tomorrow at 10 a.m BK Kirk, Mr. Kirkland is happy to be interviewed from, by a journalist. Yeah. I was like, wow, I didn't expect it to work. Yeah. And then I was like, oh my God, I'm interviewing this guy tomorrow. I've got no questions. I've got, <laughs> so I need to scrabble, a, yeah. scrabble this all together. I go in, I, I uh, do the interview, I um, uh, sort of get introduced to the, the people who run the programming department who kind of compile the charts and file all the records away and all mm. this kind of stuff. And then that afternoon, I'm 
sort of help out there. I'm just sort of filing some records, what have you. And at the end of the uh, day, I said to these people, oh, thanks very much. That's really great that you invited me to help yeah. out because I was in the station. It's very kind of you. Um, and um, the lady who ran the programming area said, okay, so uh, it's at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning then? And I sort of say, uh, it's very confused. I'm like, um, well, you want to go? I mean, I can come back. It's, she's like, yeah, sure, you're our, new in- you're our new intern if you want to be. I was like, wow, I I would love oh, to be. Amazing. I would love to be. So, so then that was how I got an internship at WBLS. So then I find myself, I'm like the kid, like Marley Marl is in there doing his lunchtime mix, and I'm the kid going Amazing. to, hey, Marley, what sandwiches do you want today? Do you want any soda? I'll nip out to the I store. Doing all of that. Uh, so, so, yeah, so I'm kind of in there. And uh, I went round to Marley's house, actually, funnily enough, his, his studio at that time. Wow. So, yeah, it's 19, this is 1987. Amazing. So, so really just, you know, he was... Anyway. Um, yeah. So, but the pivotal moment hasn't happened yet. The pivotal moment is when the, the promo guy from uh, Epic comes in and goes, hey, to, to walks into the programming office where there's about three or four of us work and go, guys, new Michael Jackson album coming up world premiere playback party it's in a few weeks time who wants to go and he's got wow. he's got a handful of invites to the to the to the world premiere of a new michael jackson record that's i'm I, 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 I know well, that's yeah. what i thought at the time i thought jesus what am i supposed to do here so i'm in the corner and i sort of sh- very sheepishly sort of like raised my hand slowly and i was sort of wincing on my face like yeah. i don't know whether i'm supposed to be raising my hand or whether i'm allowed to but I'm going to do it anyway and see what happens. And uh, the, the guy was like, yeah, you're a good kid. You can come. Pop. Um, and so, like, a few weeks later, I'm on this massive super yacht that's sort of circling um, Manhattan. It's champagne, caviar, and then all of the, you know, the, I asked some of my, my WBLS people, I said, who are all these people then? And they're like, oh, that's the guy who he's the... Uh, editor of Billboard, that person wow. runs Tower Records or whatever, and basically me. I, I was a uni That's student. That's the intern from that. No other interns. No, 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 I, I don't think it. so. And that was me, and that, and and yeah, and I was between my second and third year of university at that point in the summer holidays, yeah. and I just was on that boat. I mean, I thinking this is. Amazing! I know that I shouldn't be here, yeah. uh, but I am. Yeah. And I, I knew in my mind I could, I could work out the steps that had led me to be. So I wouldn't have been yeah. there if I hadn't been working as an intern at BLS. Yeah. And then I wouldn't have been working as an intern at BLS if I hadn't done that little, you know, did the interview thing. Yeah. So I could see the steps that had led me there. And, and I said, I know I shouldn't be here, but I am. And at that point, thought, well, I don't know if I'm... If I, can ever have success signing a record that might become a hit or running a label or or, or anything like this because it all seems a bit far-fetched i did i was like i wonder if i can even get a full-time job in in the music industry i wonder if that's possible yeah seems a bit far-fetched but it all seems far-fetched but this is far-fetched. Yeah. So maybe, maybe it is possible it that just, those things could happen yeah. because I'm here and this has happened, so maybe it will. It, it puts it all in the realm of possibility. Yeah. I've, I've had numerous points like that. Where it's like, well, it seems ridiculous to imagine that, but a year ago, what happened yesterday would have seemed ridiculous and things like that, and it just makes it, it, makes it, it realistic. It's, it's a beautiful thing because 
so many people in the music industry have got these amazing, unusual, and, and unique stories. And and your podcast, Trailblazers, which mm. is is on Deezer, mm. um, is is going to be getting to the bottom of a lot of them that haven't haven't been told. With guests like G- Gary Newman, Fatboy Slim, Goldie, who's been on the podcast here, yeah. they've all got a wealth of amazing stories. So was that kind of the yes. motivation of doing Trailblazers, of picking these absolute icons of, of, of music and going, let's... Because, again, they're all icons of music who had their peak or heyday when, radio-wise, it was two-minute interviews, a quick plug, and that's that not-really-a-storytelling moment, whereas the rise of podcasts is, has been after their heyday, but it means you've not got these in-depth stories and these beautiful, no. colourful tales of, of the industry. So was that kind of the motivation of Trailblazers? Ah, it, it wasn't the, the case that we felt... First of all, it wasn't like we need to, to get these big-name, iconic uh, sort of legends, yeah. first and foremost, because I think Eddie and I both realised that there's a lot of great stories... With all sorts of people, Everywhere in the, yeah. The so these Definitely. are the big names, but we've got Renard, um, who started R and S, and of course he yeah. was the guy who signed the Apex Twin. Yeah, yeah, there, yeah. You know, so we've got Renard, Daniel Miller from Mute Records, amazing, yeah. uh, and 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 hit these stories. So there's people who who don't have the same public profile as a Goldie yeah. or a Fatboy Slim, but also have, some, but they do have amazing history, and and, and I mean. There's evidence of that in this conversation that we've just had. Because obviously you know within the industry and you've got your point in history, but it's not rude to say, I don't think, that a Goldie or someone else, you know, they're more of a public name and a big mm, name. Yet absolutely. You've had numerous insane stories mm. throughout, throughout <laughs> your career. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and we've touched upon only a handful of them here. So it's a great example of all these other people in the industry who it's, it's such a... A rich history in there oh, that, it, it, it's that needs endless. to be documented. It, it needs to be documented, and it's also something that's that's just really worth doing anyway. I mean, yeah. the, the, fortunately, they are. It's myself, it's Eddie, and a guest, so it's a kind of three-way conversation. Yeah, so that's really interesting because yeah. so it isn't just sort of. And what did you do then? And then what did you do afterwards? Um, it because it has the the flexibility for Eddie to say to Gary Newman something, 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 and him to say, oh, this and that happened. And then I might chip in, oh, that's funny you should mention that, because something similar happened to me, actually. It's, it's, it's what excited me when I heard, because I'd heard Eddie was, I'd heard that Eddie was, was thinking of a, sh- a show like this, and as soon as he said that he was doing it with you, it felt perfect, because it is exactly that. You've got a, a seasoned pro in interviewing in Eddie, in, in being the man to, Get, get the right questions at the right Absolutely. time. But then add in someone else who's got those experiences and will know a lot of these people and will have seen them on a party of a launch album and things yeah. like that over the years. Yeah. It, it really adds something that's more than just... Again, it, it's the beauty of podcasts. That it, it adds is. something that's more than just a radio interview. That's not just a, here's something that would have been on the radio, but it's on a podcast now. It's yeah. like, no, this wouldn't have existed anywhere else. No. It's perfect for that podcast. Yeah, though. it is. And And... So thoroughly enjoyable and, and worthwhile. I mean, for, for any of these people that, that we've spoken to, I've been keen to do it anyway, just whether it was recorded or not, I would be keen to, to have those conversations yeah. just myself because I want to hear, I want to learn, 100%. I want to, to, to uh, absorb, and I'm still 
learning and I'm still consciously aware that I've still got so much to learn, even though I've been whatever in the industry for a while and all of that, there's still way more that I don't know yeah. than that I do know. And so I know that if I spend a couple of hours with Danny Rampling or, or, or DJ Zinc or, or De- yeah. whoever, I'm going to go, oh, really? Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I, I will be surprised. I'm hopeful, you know, yeah. I'll be surprised and, and, and sort of entertained and educated by those conversations. So they're worth doing for me. Anyway, but, but then of course, it, yes, they hope, hopefully that they, 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 they other people will be entertained yeah. and, and educated as well. And that's, yeah, it's a little, with this podcast series, it's not dissimilar in a way to, to, to sort of record making. You, we're involved in doing something that we think is worthwhile, that yeah. we enjoy, that we believe in. And now we're just at this point now where we've got the first couple out and we, we hope to we hope that people will will like it. You yeah. know, in the same way as you sign a record or whatever, you put it out and you sort of yeah. hope that people yeah. get something out of it as well. We're happy with it and we've achieved everything that we need from our side. Now hopefully the cherry on the cake is, is gonna be that other people like it as well. And it's yeah. it's the perfect outlook. I'm I'm I maintain that despite having a wonderful a loyal listenership who give amazing compliments on some of the podcasts that I've done over the years. No one has got more from these podcasts than I have. I've got to have these conversations that I wouldn't have had otherwise. The stuff I've learned, the people I've got to sit down with. And that's the prime motivation and it's why people have learned that it's not just about the big names. It's about all the names because if I'm if I've agreed to it, there's probably a reason. There's probably something exciting to be had there and that's kind of what yeah, it, it, it means we've got a strong relationship to the entire back catalogue rather mm. than just Goldie or just a Russell Brand or whomever else. Yeah. And it's a similar thing here. There's the names that I've looked on the list that I've gone, I need to hear that. Mm. But there's also that awareness of, well, if this guy's on there, I don't know who that is, but if he's on there, there's probably a good reason. So that, that's maybe the more exciting ones because they're there not because of their name. They're there because of their story alone so if their story alone has put them on the level of fat boy slim or of gary newman it's going to be a hell of a fucking story yeah i mean I, I i love biography and autobiography yeah. those are my favorite kinds of books and they're my favorite kind of films really i yeah. love the richness of of human experience yeah. and and i love me meeting new people and and having I've had lots of sort of random, I've met lots of random people over the years, people who've done unusual things, weird stuff, and I'd get chatting to them in, yeah. on a train. And yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's almost endless. I'm, I'm, you know, just like there was a, I remember sitting on a train once and um, the, the guy, I was at a table and the guy opposite me, uh, was writing stuff on House of Commons notepaper. I thought, oh, that's a bit odd. All right. And I, so I, said, I hope you, I said, I hope you don't mind me asking. Is that uh, I? I just couldn't help noticing. Da, yeah. da, da, are you involved in that? Oh, he said, oh, I'm an MP actually, and got chatting and this, that, and the other. And um, and th- this guy actually, you know, he's he's <laughs> he was as in- interested to hear about my experiences yeah. in the industry and working with 
the acts and all of that as I was to, oh, well, um, tell me more about how, that your, works. How, how, yeah, your experience yeah. is. And again, random things like that. So I, 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 I you know, I love, I love hearing these stories, and, but it just, but, but parameters, like I said, can be a good thing. So instead yeah. of Eddie and I going, let's just get a whole bunch of people and yeah. hear their stories, we've gone, no, let's, let's look at people who really have, have pioneered in the dance and electronic a- area and let's hear what they've got to say. And, and like you said, and document it and, and let it be there for, forever that, yeah. that these people have all in different ways helped sort of build the scene that is out there and, and has touched so many people. Completely, and it's, the, it's beautiful because it's the timelessness of podcasts. And, and this series in particular, again, it's not like you're going to be discussing what happened on the news that day. Therefore, once it's up there, whilst there's a release schedule, there's ones that you'll push at appropriate times, they're there forever. And that's the beauty of it, is these stories just continue and they're they're archived and documented. And and, and there are are so many amazing stories out there. And so much of it is just, is random. It, it, It is that, that Daniel Miller just, could have found himself in a in a sort of pub gig environment could have nipped out to to have a burger but thought oh i don't i've got no idea who this support act is but i'll hang around i'll hear one song and then i'll decide whether i'll nip off out because he was he was there to see a different act and he stayed for the one song oh this is pretty good stayed for the second song oh right i need to hear the third song third song even better than the first to, and that was Depeche Mode, and Amazing. and that was that was it, and he was just like, wow, and that that then there you go. Yeah, it, it's, it's it, beautiful. It's those moments that 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 the slightest change it could have changed and he, literally changed the course of music with no exaggeration. Yeah, there. and or certainly his life because yeah. if he'd got if he'd got there and thought, I know what I need to do. I need to go out and get a plate of spaghetti now. The the artist that I, I'm here to see is on it. Yeah. Five past nine, I'll get back at nine. It yeah. would have been so different. So Love there's it. a lot of this out there. And like I said, though, there's a lot of this in, in music and there's a lot of it in life in general, um, ran, these random things. And, and it, 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 yeah, I, I can't stress enough to, to, to young artists, certainly you know, to young artists, this, this whole philosophy I've got of, of just putting yourself in these environments where... Yeah. Where, where at least interesting and positive things have a, have a greater chance of, of, of happening than mm-hmm. if you yeah if you're not there if you you go off and, and yeah. get that plate of spaghetti <laughs> um, well thank you very much for your time I'll end it there as we're on on, on the ninety minute mark and Amazing. I, in the outro I'm going to play a little um, outtake from or a little sample of, of, of one of the Trailblazers episodes so oh, people lovely. can get a little taster and teaser of of, of of the stories and what that is all about so thank you for very much for your time. Oh, thanks, man. Pleasure. No, it has been a, it's been a great pleasure for me too, so thank you. Thank you, man. You've been listening to Scroobish Pits Discretion and Peace. There we go, that was Nick Hawke's man. I know this is already a long episode because we really got into our talking and we wanted to go longer and longer um, and I rambled a bit in the intro. So 
as I mentioned, Trailblazers is available now. Let me just hang on. I've got I've got a specific bit of is it's always good to be as um as accurate as you can, right? With uh with these these details. So I will let you know that hold up, hold up. Yeah, uh you can l- listen to Trailblazers at I've got a stutter, sorry, at Deezer.com, D-E-E-Z-E-R.com, um, on the Electronic Channel, with n- no episodes released each week. Uh, I mentioned Deezer b- briefly in the episode b- b- where we're going to get into that a lot more, because it's exciting, all these new platforms coming up for things. But yeah, Trailblazers is at Deezer.com on the Electronic Channel, so check that out. And of course, um, next week, uh, we'll... B- Obviously, just back to Wednesday, I'm just doing one, probably. I might sneak a bonus, but probably just one. Um, and it's Jamali Maddox, who a lot of people are hyped about. It's one, again, a guy that I was really excited to meet because it felt like I knew him because I'd watched every episode of his series, I Hate Thy Neighbour, on Vice. Um, so, yeah, Jamali Maddox next week, and then loads of good stuff to come, trust me. We might have to get a drunk cast in soon, too. It's been a good four, five, six months, isn't it? All right, I'll work on that. But Trailblazers is at Deezer.com on the Electronic Channel. As a little teaser, here is um, a little sample from it. It's it's what we're going to end on. They're chatting to Gary Newman um, about working with Nine Inch Nails. Madness. Um, I'll see you next week, guys. Uh, This has been episode 203 of the Distraction Pieces podcast. And this... He's Gary Newman on Trailblazers. Those uh, very cool analogue synth sounds that, of course, we all take for granted and that everyone's got on soft synths now, but they, like you say, you fell out of favour and a lot of, a lot of people fell out of favour at that time and, and there was one person in America who was, when everybody was going, oh, the 80s, and all the sounds from the 80s are shit, and let's not use them, let's use 90s or North, whatever, let's, let's use um, more current sounds. Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails was the custodian, wasn't he, of those analogue synth sounds, and he just kept that going and, and used it in such a visceral way. And uh, it, he's... Well, well documented on the on, on the cover of Time magazine, you know, decades ago as the most influential man in music today. And um, so he I know that you're friends now and he you know, that must have, you know, must have been very inspiring for you when you what, what was happening or where were you when you first heard Nine Inch Nails or you first interacted with this amazing music? I was uh, I was downstairs in my room, in my little twelve track studio. Still, um, I just started to see Gemma, and Gemma was upstairs playing music. Wh- where were you geographically at this point? Essex. Essex. Okay. Yeah. Lived in Essex near Stansted Airport. Okay. And uh, I, I heard a song called "Head Like a Hole" came on, and I ran upstairs to Gemma and said, "What? What is that? That's just like the best thing ever, <laughs> you know." And it was just it's song to die for you know it's got the best chorus in the world you think 
And then he's got another one. Yeah, he hits you with another one. The only only song in the world, the two two best crawlers in the world, are both in the same song. It's just amazing. And so, and then through Gemma, um, Gemma introduced me to Tibesh Mode, Songs of Faith and Devotion. It escaped me. So she introduced me to all of this stuff that completely reshaped where I was going. And the the Nine Inch Nails thing, you know, it was a real eye-opener. I'd realised how... How stagnated I'd become. You know, I, I was doing all this. I was doing all these cool sounds and thinking differently, and you know, and going off on these different paths. And somewhere along the line, lost it all. Lost it all. Got corrupted. Got famous. Got corrupted. Lost it. Lost it completely. Really ashamed of myself. Really ashamed. And then I heard Nine Inch Nails, and I heard songs of faith and devotion, and I. And I started to work on my own stuff again, and it was heavy and dark, and I loved it. And, and it was when there's all this music I'd never heard that was incredibly inspiring, and uh, just absolutely born again. What, what would you have done? Do you think if you hadn't had that pivotal moment, were you starting to think, uh, you know, okay, I'll maybe I'm going to drive the cab, or, you know, or, or did you uh, did you think about? Co- doing work outside of the music industry at that point uh, I, I, it was a serious possibility yeah you could I, have been I, a pilot honesty, you I'd... could have worked at Stansted Airport <laughs> <laughs> loose sorry I'm here all week no. um, yeah short drive <laughs> exactly. yeah, nice.